As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Standard, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. It is Friday morning. I hope everyone is doing well. Hope you have uh, some fun plans for this weekend. I'm glad that they include uh, listening to this podcast on this episode. You know, who who am I going to get when there's Wizards news and we want to talk about the commanders other than my colleague at The Athletic, the Hall of Famer, David Aldridge. Uh, DA and I just wrapped up a conversation. We talked a lot about uh, Josh Harris what type of owner he may be obviously da with his nba uh connections has uh you know has been paying attention to josh harris far longer than the rest of us uh as an nba guy so got his view on where things are with josh harris what are the type of decisions he may be looking to make when he gets here and uh we also talked a lot about uh eric Bieniemy outlook for for this offense and because of da is here and the bradley beal possible trade news in the air we discussed that as well i also contrasted ted leontis and josh harris as ownership styles and got into who da likes in the draft the nba draft is next week uh so the wizards have the eighth pick so a lot of that stuff we will start of course with the commander so don't worry if you're a football only kind of person. We go commanders uh, strong first and Josh Harris, and then we'll get to the wizards. Uh, and I'll, I'll give you a couple other quick notes here in a second on the podcast. Uh, of course, if you're new here, you can subscribe on iTunes or anywhere you do your podcasting, just hit that subscribe button and you're good. And if you are uh, yet to check out the athletic, always encourage you to do so. I will say wait until Tuesday because we're going to have a pretty good sale uh, there and I'll have some stories up uh, over the next week or two that I think people here will find interesting as well. Right now, up on the site, I have two stories on my final takeaways from the OTA mini camp period, so you can go check all of that out. And of course, find me on Twitter at Ben Standing. Um, I, I don't have a ton more to add here from a notes perspective, but I will just a couple things. One, uh, there was a report late last night, late Thursday from Josina Anderson that the commanders have, I forget the exact phrasing, but basically like looked at, you know, thought about adding running back Kareem Hunt uh, to the mix. He's a free agent. He's been in Cleveland the last few years. Hunt was with Kansas city when the was there. 
a few years prior and had some good good success for sure. Uh, he's the type of player that, like, you hear and you're like, oh, Kareem Hunt, that guy can play. Of course, you know, uh, add more playmakers to the offense. I mean, go ahead. Why not? Uh, you know, I, I don't – it does not ring true to me that this makes a ton of sense for this uh, team. Again, I'm not saying that Kareem Hunt wouldn't help. He last was in Kansas City in 2018. He had over 1,300 yards on the ground in 2017 with the Chiefs. He averaged 4.9 yards a carry in 2021. You know, he's a, he, he, he's a playmaker. But you already have Brian Robinson and Antonio Gibson. I wrote about this week and talked about this week how I think Antonio Gibson has a real chance to be a, a more substantive playmaker in this enemy offense based on how we've already sort of seen uh, some of the play calling with some of the screen passes looking to get Gibson in space, maybe more than what was being done previously. I, I don't know where hunt fits into this plan. I mean, you can't, it sounds fun to just say, go get this guy, add this guy. But at some point you actually have to play and how many touches are you going to be spreading around? Plus, you know, not saying don't do things because you just drafted Chris Rodriguez in the sixth round, but it does seem like they like him as well. Uh, and then, of course, if you add a fourth running back, if four running backs make the team, now perhaps you're not keeping a third quarterback or a six wide six wide receiver, or you're going to have to let one of your other defensive linemen go, whatever it might be. It's there's ramifications beyond. Ooh, that guy would be a fun playmaker. So I don't know. I if you told me that the enemy is interested in Hunt, I certainly could understand that. You know, it's not like we haven't seen Ron Rivera, right? Bring in Carolina guys. So why wouldn't the enemy be interested hypothetically in a Kansas City guy? But I don't know if I if I'm seeing this one. Um, look, Hunter free agent. I'm sure you know people in his world are hoping he gets gets a deal soon. Mentioning that Washington could be interested would certainly perhaps push other teams to to ratchet up their interest in Kareem Hunt. And I would venture it's more that than Washington's true interest, but. We will see. I don't know if I buy that um, at this point. But he's a big enough name that I, I didn't want to just like ignore it completely uh, because I, I understand it. I just saying it does not completely ring true to me that they would actually go ahead and do that. Uh, we are. What else can I get into here? I mean, like I said, not much. They didn't. They did not have an open practice this week, as you know. Um, OTA peer uh, the, the OTA was turned into an informal workout and, and some players are there, but we saw other players did not attend. Looks like based on some of the video that was out there, like a John Allen was out there, um, you know, a bunch of the rookies obviously as well, but yeah, it looked like Chase Young was at Ohio state, saw Jeremy Reeves drove home to Florida um, voluntary. So not a big deal, but just noting like there, there's no real, no, nothing new has really changed here this week since we spoke last and it is going to be about you know the sam you know how does sam hell sam how develop over these next six weeks what what are the things he can work on with his footwork with his decision making that can help him once he gets to training camp how do the players get acclimated further acclimated to eric b enemy's uh offense and you know of course stay healthy guys don't <laughs> Work out, do the things you need to do to prepare for the season, but don't, uh, you know, don't, don't, don't break anything that that would be, uh, 
I, I think the uh, the primary directive for uh, for all these guys heading into the off season. Um, um, all right. Uh, what is interesting is my conversation with David Aldridge, a really fun one. Uh, touched on a lot of different topics. Like I said, we got a lot into ownerships. Uh, Josh Harris. Uh, also, of course, talked about the enemy and you know, a bunch of Wizards talk at the end as well as it appears they're ready to move on from Bradley Beal. Who else am I going to get besides David Aldridge to discuss that? So let's get to that right now here on the Standard Room Only Podcast. All right. Well, since we're in a week here in D.C. where, you know, I'm obviously going to talk about the commanders here on this podcast and the Wizards are in the news uh, because of the potential for a Bradley Beal trade, there's only one guest I'm going to get who's going to be able to expertly discuss both, and he's with me now, my colleague of the Athletic, David Aldridge. Uh, you, uh, you know, it, it, it's not like many people can say realistically that they were a minute or two late to joining me here because oh, they had to check in on Michael Jordan selling his <laughs> NBA team. Uh, yeah. But that just happened, which is ironic on some level because. At least for me, I guess I'm in the very minority. I still consider Magic Johnson part of the best player of all time debate. Um, mm-hmm. it, I don't view it as a two-person race, and I think Magic Johnson's ahead of somebody else. But yeah. um, that Magic Johnson, we're waiting for him to come here to become part owner of this group, and Michael yeah. Jordan is out at the Hornets. What? Why is Jordan getting out? He just had enough. I, they obviously haven't been winning, but I th- yeah, I think I think you know, <laughs> Michael was always. The letters OPM were always associated with Michael Jordan. Mike, Mike loves spending other people's money. <laughs> and I don't know that he wanted to keep spending his own money um, to to um, try and make that franchise what it needs to be. And it's just, you know, it's a different time in the NBA now, you know, to the kind of like R- Michael is really, 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 really rich. Well, I'm not sure he's wealthy, if you know what I mean. There's a difference. So there's just a difference in 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 matter of degree. Um, and so it just it's just hard for a single owner, individual owner, to to be able to to make a go of it in the in the NBA these days. You just have people and corporations that have so much money behind them that if you're trying to compete, it's it's very difficult. And it's it's not so much on the floor in terms of the cap. It's all the other stuff off the floor, the ancillary stuff, the practice facility, all the other things that that kind of go into uh, what you need to kind of attract and retain free agents and all those sorts of things. And, you know, Michael has always been a, a private person. And, uh, you know, the owning a team is a public thing. You have to kind of speak to how your team's doing every once in a while. Even Even Michael had to in Charlotte. Um, and I think he just wanted to take a step back and be more private. Um, it was just kind of time for a bunch of different reasons. Plus the, the team's just not very good or certainly not very competitive in the NBA kind of firmament. Um, it's hard to get people, players of impact to go to Charlotte. Um, as is, you know, it's just one of those cities that isn't a draw, you know, it's just a tough draw. So, there was just a lot of things I think that kind of went into why it was time. Um, and he's still going to be a minority owner. He didn't sell completely, but he did certainly sold the majority stock or the majority strain, if you want to uh, these two guys that are coming in. I'm not familiar with either of these guys, but um, obviously they got some bankroll behind them. Yeah. I mean, it is interesting. I remember when Jordan bought the team, I think there was a real thought, right? That, Hey, 
he's going to make Charlotte a destination. Everybody yeah. idolizes Michael Jordan. Of course, you're sure. going to go to if he calls, you're going to want to go play for them. And that just never happened. Yeah. I mean, obviously, they never had any real momentum to get behind. They didn't have that random 50 win season for somebody that might be saying, oh, well, let me go there. But like, it's just interesting that that at the end of the day, no matter how much I guess people idolize Jordan, money talks. And if you don't want to live in Charlotte, that you know, my, Miami yeah. and LA are still interesting destinations, even if Michael Jordan is uh, owns a team. Yeah. And I, you know, it, it, it just goes to show you that, you know, time kind of smooths a lot of things out, you know, certainly you would think if, if, if players wanted to be a part of Michael Jordan's Charlotte Hornets, they would have jumped on the chance immediately. And, and once that was, once it became clear after a couple of years that that wasn't going to happen, I just think there was a lot of, a lot of luster lost. And as time went on and Jordan's exploits on the floor kind of faded into the memories of, of younger people. Um, yeah, just it was clear that that was not going to be the draw. He was not going to be the closer that people thought he was going to be. Um, you know, younger guys that didn't have any real memories of watching Jordan or seeing him on TV or seeing the Bulls win. They just were like, yeah, you know, I mean, I respect Michael Jordan, but Kobe's my hero. You know what I mean? So that just made it made it harder and harder for for that franchise to kind of be part of that discussion when you talk about free agents, no matter whether they had cap space or not, it just wasn't, it was a non-starter for most, uh, most younger superstars. Right. Well, look, we, we may have a, a chance to see how this happens in a different way in a, in a few years. Cause of the, the notion is that LeBron James is going to be interested in getting an expansion team in Vegas, which is obviously from a destination standpoint, far more interesting than Charlotte. And then obviously he is for a lot of these guys, the you know the the, the guy the, the posters on the wall and the, and the and the the idol and things like that so that'll be uh, interesting but you know it's funny when you said that you know he in this era it's hard to go at as a solo owner and that of course is what we're dealing here with Josh Harris and his twenty limited partners um uh, you know based right. on net worth what the internet tells us Josh Harris has about uh like five, I think about like five or six billion Jordan right. according to what I just looked up has about two yeah. um. So there's that, and but uh, but then you have in the NBA, you can use you know like the more the institutional hedge fund money to bid, yes. and the NFL does not allow that, which has been part right. of the Josh Harris um circumstances why it's taken uh why he's had to have so many extra people involved, and yeah. maybe to a degree yeah. why it's taken so long. Um, speaking of that, I looked this up April 14th, that was the day that we first heard that Josh Harris and Dan Snyder agreed in principle to yeah. acquire the team. That's not even counting that since November, we thought Dan Snyder might be selling. April 14th was also the day that the Miami heat beat the bulls in the playing game. Ah, right. Which did not seem overly significant at the time, but obviously <laughs> right, right. turned into something. So the NBA goes through the entire playoffs and we're still sitting here waiting yeah. for the Josh Harris situation to go down. And I, we, I think we all understand the sales of this magnitude can take a while. We still don't have an exact end date. Maybe it's July 20th or August 8th, which is yeah. when the league has told owners to be available for a possible meeting, but it is still wild that on some level that this just goes on and on and on and there's no yeah. real end in sight. Right. Well, it just goes to what, what we were talking about. Even Josh Harris, who's 
three times, if you believe the numbers, richer than Michael Jordan, who you could make an argument is wealthy. Even he can't land the plane by himself to buy an NFL team. That's that's what we're talking about in terms of the type of money you need to buy sports franchises these days. And, and you know, it's 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 difficult. <laughs> it really is. You know, I was talking to a guy that I really respect that knows a lot of these NFL owners. Um, and he said, you know, they don't budge on things like that. Like, you know, you can come to them with all these creative financing ideas and I'm going to use this and I'm going to do that. And they go, no, <laughs> no, if you want to be in this club. You got to have, you got to be flush, you know, and they stick to it and they make people acquiesce, even a guy like Josh Harris, you know? So, so yeah, I mean, it's just a different, it's a different animal to, to get into that club. Um, especially the NFL, but even in the NBA, you can see that it's, you know, you have to have an incredible amount of money to to even get into the room with these guys, much less, you know, finish the transaction. Yeah, I think that's what's going to be. I mean, I feel like the Josh Harris one for the NFL was maybe not a tipping point, but I feel like we've reached the the point of like the sale price, the value of these franchises, I guess, will continue to go up but yeah have we reached a point where there are literally only a small handful of humans who can actually buy these teams i mean you know the the last team the last um ownership group to buy a team was the the walton family to buy the yeah. broncos and they're one of the literally 10 richest families on planet earth right um so yeah. it's not gonna be you know i, I it's gonna be interesting to see where this goes you know, I think like if the Seahawks sell, everybody assumes that Jeff Bezos is going to be in line for that one. Yeah, I, I and it's going to be interesting to see. What, what do you think this does though? When it when you have in terms of running teams, like we want, like as fans, where everybody wants, obviously, want a good owner. Not even talking about Dan Snyder, but you know, somebody yeah. who's going to get the job done and and you know, put your team in the road to success. But when you only have but you also want to believe like there's some connection to the team that it isn't just for them a profit maker that it is there there's there's heart and passion into this that there is an emotional tie to this yeah. and when you have when you when you only have so many people who can buy these things and some of them may have no ties to this to this area or to the any yeah. area I wonder what that does to uh, uh, ownership ownership over time I mean I think yeah I mean there's I I think the reality is that you're going to have you're going to see a lot more, you know, of these kind of transactional deals where the owner or owners, majority owners of sports teams have no particular tie to the community that they're coming in. I mean, it's, you know, the Bucks did that a few years ago when they had, when they got bought, you know, Herb Cole literally had stores named Coles in Milwaukee, right? you know, and, and was the richest guy in town, but he wasn't that rich, you know, compared to other people. And so you had three guys come in who did not have any ties to Milwaukee, especially, and bought the team. And in the course of the last 10, 15 years since they bought the team, you know, the majority of guys so cashed out and um, he's already out of the picture. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's um, it's going to be like that more and more. And it's it's it's, you know, it kind of continues to erode at the romanticism that I think some of us still have about sports and their, and their impact on local communities and things like that. And <clears throat> feeling like a, a team is part of the fabric of a city. Like, you know, James Mishner wrote about this in his book, sports in America, like 50 years ago, 
that, you know, a sports team or a stadium is kind of like, you know, the local, the local art museum or the local symphony orchestra is just part of the city, right? It's part of the fabric of the town. And that just isn't the case anymore. It's it, this is all, these are all business deals. These are all increasingly real estate deals, you know, as people come in and they don't just want to build a stadium. They want to build housing and they want to build, you know, mixed use and they want to build restaurants and, you know, have all the bells and whistles attached. Um, it's just different now. And it's just part of the reality of, of where sports are, are headed. And I don't know that that's how that's going to go back to the way we grew up with, with, with an A Poland who was a DC guy and loved DC and would do anything for the city. And, and, you know, was a, was a hard charging businessman and wanted to make money. And, you know, certainly <laughs> did things to make sure that he kept making money on the caps and the on the bullets, but in the end of the day, moved back into the city to build his building. So, you know, so there was some civic pride there at the end of the day. And I don't know that that's going to be the case anymore going forward. Yeah, no, for, for, I, for sure. I mean, at least Josh Harris is from here. Mitchell rails, right. uh, number two in the, in the also ownership from hierarchy. Here, yeah. Also from here, but yeah, it is still a business. Josh Harris owns, as we know, the 76ers, the New Jersey Devils. He's got stake in uh, in English Premier League. Like, yeah, this, yeah. these are clearly, you know, he, instead of owning, I'm making this up, McDonald's franchises and right, some right, tech yeah. company, he owns sports, sports. Fran uh, sports yeah. franchises. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, so, so you were bouncing around, obviously, the last few months uh, covering the NBA. Um, I, I imagine. Josh Harris's name came up in a conversation or two just because <laughs> people know where you are and and uh things you pay attention to and your own your own interest uh do you hear any, anything of note that you know you obviously been covering Josh Harris or paying attention for years because of the Sixers but yeah. I don't know is there anything kind of new or different that's sort of transpired in your in your thinking or any more any additional insight I guess as to maybe what he does here whenever he yeah. kind of takes over I mean, you know, just uh, talk, you know, I know people that have worked with him and for him and, and, you know, it's, he's a very, very hard driving, um, detail oriented, demanding owner. Um, he's going to, if he runs his team anyway, anyway, similar to how he's run the Sixers and the Devils, he's going to be asking a lot of questions and he's going to expect answers to those questions, you know, um, and is going to really be hard, you know, a, a, a tough boss. I think we all in this city would be fine with a tough boss that doesn't do all the other stuff that the current owner of the team did and allowed in his building um, over the last two decades, three decades almost. Um, so as long I think people are fine with, hey, I'm, I expect results. I expect improvement. I want this, this, and this. Um, and then call it a day and go home and everybody goes home, you know? So, um, it's, um, I, I think that it, it, I have no doubt in my mind that Josh Harris is going to hit the ground running, that he has already done a ton of research and work into the commanders in terms of their ownership, the leadership structure, the football side, the business side, and he is going to want answers very quickly as to what they're doing and why they're doing it the way they do it and what the expectation is in terms of results. And everybody will be on notice. Like you, 
I need to see improvement. And if I don't see an improvement, you're out. I'm getting, you're, you're getting blown out. And so, and that's on every side of the organization. So um, I think he will be, again, I can only go by the results. The 76ers, whatever you think of the process, they're a much better team now than they were when he bought it. <laughs> whatever you think, you know, I don't know much about the NHL in terms of roster building. I just know the Devils weren't very good, and now they're pretty damn good. <laughs> um, so he tends to turn these things around and get make make his teams better. And um, so I expect, you know, if I expect the Commanders to be better in in short courts, whether that's this year or in three years, I don't know, but it's it's going to be soon, I think. Yeah, no, I mean that's you know without getting, I could you know do a whole show on the process and 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 why people are wrong in my view that thinking it was a failure because like you just said they the, the Sixers were they weren't winning a lot before they did the process and they've won 50 games what for the last five years they've been yes. a contender like all you can do is put yourself in the in, in contention to a degree and hope right. the, the breaks go your way obviously they didn't and you know we can discuss James Harden and all that but like um they they are in contention unlike the other the team in town that we'll discuss right in, right. in a minute so they definitely did he did that much and that is why it's going to be interesting to see um what you know what he chooses to do I, you know i think we're all assuming ron rivera is fine for this year but if you're saying that doc rivers gets fired after they again had one of the best teams in the league yeah for several years in a row then obviously and i know they're different sports but like you, I, I imagine he's not going to view a 500 record as being interesting like they're gonna to have to get, yes. get do more here to, to, to keep their uh, gigs after this year. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, nobody, this is not based on any reporting, but I certainly believe that they're going to have to not only make the playoffs, but win a playoff game. I mean, I don't think that just kind of sneaking into the last playoff spot and then getting blown out by the one seed or the two seed is going to cut it, you know, like they're going to have to, you know, whether it's double digit regular season wins, winning the, winning the division or, Again, at the least, making the playoffs and winning a game, I think, is the minimum that's going to be required for for Rivera to, and everybody to keep their jobs. I mean, it just, I just don't think Josh Harris spent is going to spend six billion dollars to be mediocre. You know, I just, yeah. I can't see it. It's just not how he operates. Um, he, he he wants to be great. He wants his teams to be great, and um, we'll do we'll act accordingly. You know, and if that means spending a lot of capital, if, if Sam Howell has a mediocre year to move up to get a franchise quarterback next year, I could see that. Absolutely. You know, like he is not going to sit idly by and and let these things happen to his team. He's going to be very proactive in in trying to improve the team. You know, I, I I was thinking about this, um, you know, so in under Rivera, they have been very slow starters. One and four, yeah. two and six, you know, two and six. That that's been the norm here. And then they have that that surge in the middle of the year. You get excited a little bit, and then yeah. things fade off at the end. Uh, with this new owner situation coming in, you know, I don't know what Josh Harris is thinking. Is um, if they start off one and four, you know, yeah. I, you know, you you gotta wonder to what degree Rivera's job is going to be in trouble even at that point. And that's what makes the Sam Howell situation, I think, so fascinating because Sam Howell could be developing in all the right ways as a young player. Right. And, you know, still 
the wins may not be there. And yes. that's fine if you're talking about the long-term building of a quarterback. Peyton Manning was terrible as a rookie, right? I mean, right, right, all right. things. But Ron Rivera and Eric, Ron Rivera in particular, maybe Eric Bianami to a degree, but Ron Rivera in particular may not have that time. And that's why I still keep wondering, I think Sam Howell is the week one starter, but yeah. is does there become a point? Maybe when you get to those joint practices, if you're still not feeling it, do they have to look at Jacoby Brissett and be like, all right, we know he doesn't have the upside, but we have a better chance of not being one in five or whatever yeah. the deal is. And I, I, I do keep wondering about that because we don't even know when Josh Harris is taking over, but you can't ignore that thought. I mean, I certainly expect that Josh Harris will be in the owner's box at FedEx week one, right? I mean, like, I I, I certainly believe that the, the sale will be finalized by then. And because if you're the owner, you want to be in the box week one. Hey, it's my team now, you know, my new era, new new owner, who dis, you know, all that sort of thing. So, um <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, I agree with you, Ben. I mean, I don't think that one and four or two and five is going to cut it this year. And I think Ron knows that. I think there's going to be a certain urgency to getting off to a good start. Um, and that's, I think, part of the reason why they, you know, made the moves that they made both in free agency and in the draft and uh, in terms of trying to shore up the offensive line, in terms of trying to shore up the secondary so that they can, that they don't have those, and we've seen it the last three or two or three years that it's been the defense that has really struggled at the beginning of seasons, you know, like to shut opponents down. Cause you think about week two last year in Detroit where they just, I don't know what happened. Like they just were a sieve. Uh, and in retrospect, Detroit was a good team, wound up being a good team, but um you can't have that this year. Like you got to have, you know, dominance really from week one and, and you've got to get off to a good start. Cause again, I think everybody's on notice. So, yeah, I mean, I, I do wonder if they did get off to a one and four start would would the change. And I would imagine the change would be to be enemy. Right. I mean, I would, what would the, you wouldn't change. You wouldn't fire Ron Rivera to promote Jack Del Rio. Right. Like I can't see that happening. That would, that would kind of be a, you know, a parallel kind of change. You change it to to go to the offensive guy, I would think. So um, we'll see. But, I, you know, I, I do think, to your point about Howell, I mean, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens if he does get off to kind of a slowish start where he's not, he's not terrible, but he's not especially good either. You know, like he's a... He's a rookie quarterback in essence, playing like a rookie, you know, making mistakes, making some plays. Um, and, and what do they do? Do they have, does he have a short leash or quick hook? And do they go to Brissett in week three? If it's Oh, and two, if it's an Oh, and two start, I mean, it's a, it's a good question. And um, I, I wonder how much more aggressive they will be in terms of on-field decisions to try and win games early. Yeah, no, I, I think it's going to be really fascinating for sure. Maybe we'll get more of the riverboat because uh, I, I feel like the riverboat's been docked uh, yeah, in, right. for, for a bit. I, don't, I haven't <laughs> felt that aggression that he was supposedly known for. Um, You know, I, I think I'm, I'm half kidding when I say this, but I think what I'm most excited about with this ownership transition and when the season starts is getting the post-game Magic Johnson tweets that everybody <laughs> is obsessed about. Uh, 
you know, <laughs> during the yes. season. And, you know, he's been doing it throughout the NBA playoffs. Um, right. You know, I'll tell you what, the, if, if, if Magic Johnson wanted to become an NFL scout, if he wanted to, like, really get involved by watching players, he could do this easily and nobody would notice because every day he's tweeting that he's at this meeting in North Carolina. Right. He's meeting <laughs> with this company in Texas. He is everywhere at, at, at all times. Uh, do you have any sense? I mean, he's not the majority owner. He's not right. going to be deciding who's playing, who's the head coach or things like that. But the belief, I guess, on some level is he will be around and help put a, a bit of a face of the franchise on, and which is obviously would be great considering who he is. But, but do you have any sense at this point, I guess, to his how much he actually might be around considering he has a thousand other things going on? Yeah, I mean, I can only... My sense is, I mean, I don't think he's going to be having weekly press conferences or anything like that. But, right. Um, you know, you look at what he did with the Dodgers. I mean, he had a, he was part of the Dodgers ownership group. Um, you know, he was at games and tweeted a lot, and but he didn't speak a lot about the Dodgers as an organization, right? I mean, he wasn't talking about, you know, their AAA teams' <laughs> prospects and things like that, right? So, I mean, I think he just kind of is like, hey, I'm at a Dodgers game and I'm in the box with Tom Cruise. Isn't this cool? You know, like that's what magic does to kind of air, you know, lend a little bit of kind of flash and Hollywood and star power and all those sorts of things. And I expect he'll do the same for the commanders. I don't think he'll be breaking down the depth chart of the, the, you know, of the old line. You know, I think he's going to do what he does, which is kind of, make it to some people not all because as you you know so you know a lot of people think magic's corny now and it's kind of out of date and issues these kind of dad tweets that that people under 30 roll their eyes at um but there is a certain segment of the population that still thinks magic johnson's a pretty cool guy <laughs> you know and is a pretty and is a big star and those other big stars and it'll be fun and it'll be exciting and and it'll be cool to look into the owner's box and see who's sitting with magic this week you know so um you know will he be at every home game i kind of doubt it but i'm sure he'll be at you know three or four or five maybe uh during the season and certainly will be at the first game and will certainly be at any home playoff game that that the commanders have if they're that lucky to get there and they've got a they've got a game in la this year so i imagine he could be be there (laughs) there. yeah i mean uh, yeah the the, the tweets are corny but i'm some one of those people that's like yeah the fr- I've, I, you've obviously talked to Magic Johnson many times. I've been, I saw him once or twice. He was in at a Wizards game or something. But like, uh, it's gonna be weird to be like, what <laughs> Magic? John- I get to, I get to, in theory, cover Magic Johnson now. That is gonna be, yeah. um, totally bonkers. Um, before I switch over to the Wizards, I, I, you've obviously, you know, you were at uh some of the offseason program, but you obviously were yeah. focused uh, on a lot of other stuff. What for you as we get to training camp? You'll be out there for that. I know. What yeah. what's like one thing you're really curious to see with this team on the field when they ever get, when when they get back for training camp? I mean, I I think like everybody else, I'm just, you know, I'm really really going to be interested in what the enemy does with this offense, you know. Um not not so much like play calls and things like that, but just kind of like how is he going to um put his his stamp on what was I think we can all agree a pretty mediocre offense last few years. <laughs> so um, how will they look different under Eric Bieniemy, um in terms of 
you know, whether it's tempo, pace, urgency, aggressiveness, whatever, whatever metric you want to look at, um, will they take, and it's not so much, will they throw the ball downfield 50 yards? I don't think they're going to do that. That's not really what he does. If you look at what he, what the chiefs offense looked like, they didn't, they took their shots when they could, but it was a lot of, you know, it was a lot of intermediate stuff. It was a lot of screens. It wasn't, you know, they weren't the Raiders throwing the ball 60 yards downfield every pass, every play. So, um, but just how will he utilize the running backs? You know, you know, we will certainly, they, they threw a lot of screens to their running backs, a lot of, you know, did a lot of stuff and, and, and Antonio Gibson and Robinson, but Gibson, especially, I think they've got backs that can do that sort of thing. You know, how do they utilize the tight ends? How, how, they don't have Kelsey, but can they, do this, does the scheme get, get tight ends open um, that aren't as good as Kelsey? You know what I mean? So I want to, I'm just curious to see how this offense looks because as I, as I, you know, all of us have said one way or another, you know, you can't keep winning games 17 to 14. It's just really hard in the NFL to do that with other teams proclivities offensively. It's just difficult. So what would happen if the commanders were the team that was averaging 30 points a game? Like, you know, that would change things. And so if, if this team, if this offense can be even, even in the getting to the twenties offensively in terms of points, even if they average 25 points a game, how different that would make things for the defense and, and for everything else. So that's, I mean, that to me, obviously, and, and the quarterback is a big part of that, of course, but I just think you don't hire Eric Bieniemy to just kind of be okay. Offensively, you hire him because you want to be dominant offensively. And I just want to see how he thinks this group can be dominant offensively. Yeah, for 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 sure. I I, I mean, look, the defense has been top ten two of the three years that they've been here. Yeah. You mentioned the slow starts, but overall they've done well, and they've still been only a five hundred team because the offense just never consistently gives them uh, enough. And they have playmakers. On uh, we'll see about the line, and we'll see about how. But they have some pieces for Bianami to play with. Um, yeah. all right, let me transition over in the last couple minutes we have to the basketball team here. Um, I was thinking about this. We just talked about Josh Harris and. For now, at least, the process, the decision for an owner to go to do that uh, 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 is very is the defining aspect, I would say, of his time right now in, as the Sixers owner, right? I mean, even today, yeah. it's, it's still referendums on the process when they don't make the finals. I'm going to say this, and this is probably unfair, but it's in the, it's in the moment, but it's my podcast. <laughs> I think... Giving Bradley Beal the no trade clause is a perfect symbol of what the Ted Leonsis era has been about here with the Wizards, because it is to, to give this guy the no trade clause. Bradley Beal's a very good player, all-star player. He stayed with them. He's been here since 2012. All those things is emblematic of an owner who is afraid. He is afraid of his star players. That if he, you know, like like a parent trying to get them to do their chores, and if they push back, they they they, they balk, and maybe they don't love him as much or whatever it is to give that guy to give Bradley Beal a no trade clause when there was zero reason to do it, as far as I can see, I think is just like I said, it it, it shows how he has run this organization all the way to this point, uh, not pushing back on star players when they're maybe not doing certain things the right way, not the culture is non-existent as far as I can see 
over over time. Not saying it's like toxic, but it's not. Forget heat culture. It's not, you know, it's not even uh, you know warm or room temperature culture. It is is nothing. So I, I to me this is I, this no trade clause drives me insane. And I was thinking about this in relation to Josh Harris that uh, that it is this. I think it's like a really encapsulates how Ted Leontes has chosen to run his organization, at least until now, because now there is a new group coming in with Michael Winger. Uh, so you can react to that if you choose or, or just lean into how he's making this kind of change. I mean, uh, you know, certainly football and basketball are, are different sports, right? Um, and and what a, and if if you say the process worked, because they got Joel Embiid. Well, there certainly has been a certain amount of capitulation to Joel Embiid since he's gotten there in Philadelphia. It's just that Joel Embiid is a, you know, top 15 player in the league. And so, um, you know, so I don't know that there's especially a great difference. It's just that the player that Philly built around is a lot better than the player the Washington built around, you know, but to your point, I just think, I think with, it's, I don't know whether Ted's afraid or anything like that. I just think Ted values the wrong things, has valued the wrong things when it comes to NBA teams and, and, his, and his NBA franchise. You know, he valued loyalty in, in the form of Bradley Beal to an absurd point where you give a guy a quarter of a billion dollars and then you also give him a trade kicker and then you also give him a no trade clause. Well, the quarter of a billion should be enough. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? Like, like what you know, why should I give you this other thing on top of the quarter of a billion dollars I just gave you? Right, like like well, the, fam- the famous line in Mad Men when uh, Don Draper is talking to uh, Peggy and she wants more credit, and he's like, that's what the money's for. Right. I, I've already <laughs> shown you everything. Here's the, here's all, here's the, exactly. here's I've given you every every dollar I could possibly give you. Go like, buy a small country, go ahead. You know, and, and, you know, so, and he valued continuity in the form of Tommy Shepard over... And, you know, over maybe taking a fresh look at who's in the front office. And this is not a to- anti-Tommy, you know, bromide. I think Tommy did what he was told, you know, like, which is, I want to make the playoffs and I want Bradley Bill to be the guy and build around him. Um, and he valued this cockamamie Dunder Mifflin org chart over, over, you know, hiring a guy to run your team like everybody else does, you know, like. Um, and that's, and it showed. And so now maybe, maybe he's seen the light. I, you know, and certainly is a, is a different structure than he's had, um, hiring a guy like Michael Winger, who is not a traditional team builder. Look, it could work. It could be a disaster. We'll see. I don't know, but I do know Michael is a very smart guy, um, and, and has different thoughts about team building than the traditional way, you know, and, and we'll think about things in different ways and we'll try to put together a, a kind of organization that is more, that's more connected in terms of how all the different parties, you know, talk to each other and and work with each other. Um, Again, Will Dawkins, by all accounts, one of the smartest you know, brightest young minds in, in the league coming in, coming in, in the game today. And and he's never done this job before, so we'll have to see how, if he can do it. I don't know if he can do it. He's never done it before. Um, but, you know, certainly has done it 
um, in Oklahoma City for the last several years. And then they added Travis Schlenk as well, um, who, again, and, and part of what intrigues me about this, this group is that all three of these guys in very, very different markets built successful teams pretty quickly, you know, um, using very different resources. You know, you have top of the food chain resources in L.A. Everybody wants to play in L.A. L.A. is a huge market. You're kind of running downhill. You have a you have Steve Ballmer as your owner. Like you've got everything you could possibly want. And then in Oklahoma City, you have none of that. Right? It's the right. exact opposite. And they built, and he still they were still able to build build that team up pretty quickly. Um, and then in Atlanta, which is kind of a more apples to apples comparison to Washington as a market, you know, Travis Schlank tore that team down and built it back up in three or four years and had them in the conference finals, which again, I hate to be that guy, but it's a place the wizards haven't been since I was 14 years old. So, so, so I would have to say that, uh, you know, you would think if it's going to work, it should work with three guys that have done it recently in very different places. The question is, you know, how do you do it? And, you know, what what methods do you use to do it? And certainly it looks like Beal's going to get moved. So, you know, the question then becomes, what do you move him for? You know, what what's important in, in, in the rebuild? Is it getting a bunch of draft picks, getting as many draft picks as you can, um, which helps but isn't a guarantee? Or is it clearing as much cap space as you can, as quickly as you can, which also helps, but isn't a guarantee. And that will be what I'm curious about is what do they value? What does the winger Dawkins schlank triumvirate, triumvirate value in terms of roster building? And that's what I'm going to be very curious to see. Uh, well, I mean, you've obviously, you know, doing your, your, your day job, you talk to, to people and obviously the Beal news just sort of happened, but obviously we've all been wondering for a while what could you possibly get. I feel like the high end of the of what could possibly happen. I'm this is just me spitballing. Is could you talk if Portland decides they want to keep Dame Lillard? Could you mm-hmm. go? Hey, we've got the eighth pick. We've got Bradley Beal. You've got the third pick. Uh, yeah. Could we do something there, or is it more? You think the other end where it's like, all right, we're gonna have to take on some terrible contract and just to make the money work and we'll get a couple future number ones, but uh, you know, who knows what, what, yeah. what, what that will be. What, what, what do you think is, I guess maybe the more realistic value that they can kind of get at this point? I mean, I, you know, it, it, it the answer is it depends. And it's, I, I, I know that sounds like a cop out, but it, it, it depends. Like it really does. Um, I, you know, you have this chip right in Beal, like it, it, it has value even at $50 million a year. And I've said this many times over the last few days, I think Bradley Beal is, is really kind of downgraded here because the team hasn't won, but he's a really good basketball player. Like, I don't know why <laughs> I know that everybody gets caught up in the salary and the no trade and all that, yeah. but Bradley Beal's a really good basketball player. Like he's not a top 10 guy, but he's certainly a top 30 guy. Right. So um, he will have value to other teams that want to try and win. Um now, is it Portland? I don't know. Um, it could be, but I don't know if it would be, you know, it would might I think all Bradley Beal trades to me have to be multi-team trades, have to be three, maybe four team trades. Because I don't know that trading Bradley Beal to one place 
for a certain um, for a set of you know players and picks is going to be what maximizes his value to Washington. Like, you know, Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson and, you know, a 2027 first round pick. Eh, you know, like to me it's it's kind of like it's a decent return, but it wouldn't excite me if I were Michael Winger. Now, if you wind up getting a third team involved that has assets that you can bring back, you know, or a fourth team. That to me is what would make more sense for the wizards um, in terms of maximizing the value of Bradley Beal as a trade asset. Um, now can they do that in seven days? I don't know. <laughs> um, but um, you know, that to me is where I would be looking like, how can we get, you know, a team like, you know, Dallas, who certainly is always looking to make deals, right? They're always interested in making deals. Certainly, it seems like New Orleans is looking to make a deal. And I'm not saying I'd trade him for Zion Williamson. I'd have to put, you'd have to really think about that one. I'm not saying yes or no. I'm saying you'd have to really think about it. Like, oh, I mean, uh, you know, look, you know what Zion's I mean? like, got a lot of problems, uh, questions, exactly. but, uh, but he's Zion Williamson, and if he's healthy, he's 24 years old, right? Like, you he, you have to think about it. I'm not saying you have to do it. I'm yeah. saying you have to think about it, right? He certainly had an interesting uh, last week or so. Yeah, uh, so, I mean, so there's a bunch of – so there, you know there's teams that are always kind of in the trade market. There's teams that have lots of draft picks that, that you could potentially involve in a multi-team trade. Like, Indiana's got a bunch of picks coming. We all know Oklahoma City's got a bunch of picks. They can't use them all. They literally can't use them all that they still have. Now, you know, do you do you put a veteran? I'm not saying it's Beal, but is there a young veteran player that the Wizards have that Oklahoma City may want in terms of facilitating their bill out, you know, as they grow as a as a franchise that you might be able to unearth a future first for? To, and and Beal goes to a third team. This is what I'm talking about. And and the thing that intrigues is that Will Dawkins is from Oklahoma City. He certainly knows what Sam Presti would value, right? He knows that if I get the Thunder involved, I know exactly what Sam would want, the type of player, the type of person Sam would want. And so if I get if I go that route, it should be a much easier sell than somebody that doesn't know what Oklahoma city values, the, the Clippers coming from the Clippers, Michael Winger is known as a guy that really knows the cap. Well, understands the CBA knows what kind of trades work and what don't work. And, you know, you always hear about Miami and Andy Ellisberg, who is considered like the, the smartest guy in the league always knows how to make a trade work, right? Like he knows how to do it. And so if it can be done, he, he knows how to get it done. And so now you've got a guy like winger who, who can do that. And then, you know, again, Travis Schlenk was very aggressive in Atlanta making deals. You know, he traded for Clint Capella, you know, he made the trade, whatever you think of the trade, Trey young for, for Luca. I mean, he made the trade, he pulled the trigger on it, you know? So, um, so these are guys that are used to being in that space. So, I think it's uh, I think it's a a reasonable thing to assume that this team, this group, can be and should be and will be very creative in terms of how they put a trade together for Bradley Beal that maximizes the value of his of his play, 
and maximizes the return to the Wizards. Um, I need to let you go. I've kept you too long per usual, but also did you just see the news of the the John Morant? I just saw it. Literally just saw it. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, and you probably need to go deal with that. So just last quick question. Uh, Wizards have the eighth pick. Yeah. Who's a guy, right? If, if, If things break their way and they don't pass on the Troy Halliburton this time, (laughs) <laughs> who's the guy for you that you've identified that you think, you know what, I if they have the opportunity to get this guy, this is who I think that I'd like to see them take. At at the eighth pick, there's there's a couple of guys. I mean, I do think that that the good news is that they there should be a guy at eight that I think could have some significant upside for them. I mean, there's a couple. I think Anthony Black from Arkansas is, you know, a guy, a type of player that the Wizards have for some reason never valued. And again, it comes back to valuing the wrong things, right? Um, an athletic, switchable, big wing guy that defends at a high level and can play make at a high level. The issue is he's, his shot is not great right now. Um, and that's, you know, in the NBA, you have to be able to shoot. You you know, everybody that's on the floor has to be able to shoot. Um, so it, there's not, it's not a simple thing. Um, if he could shoot, he'd be in, in the top three, but he can't shoot. So he's in, the, you know, he's down at eight, but the, the things he can do are so good that I think you have to look at it, you know? So that's certainly a guy that I would look at, um, you know, Hendricks, the kid from central Florida, six, nine hand shoot. At a high level, um, long, uh, you know, willing defender. Again, this is the type of player the Wizards have not had on their roster in a long time. Um, Asur Thompson is, you know, one of the Thompson twins. And his brother Amon's probably going to be a top four, top five. But Asur certainly has upside in terms of, you know, major athlete. Um, not a great shooter, but a better shooter than his brother. Um, playmaker, defender, switchable. So there's guys who can do the things that teams that you see in May and June can do, which is we're going to put a bunch of athletic guys on the floor <laughs> who can create, who can ball handle, who can defend, who can contest. And the more guys like that you have on your roster, I think in the modern NBA, the better chance you have of winning. And so like is, is, uh, you know, you you think about the guys that you see that you saw in in the conference finals and in the finals, were they all great shooters? No, (laughs) you know, they're not all great. Is Marcus smart, a great shooter. No, (laughs) but he's a really good defensive player. Right. And he's a very good playmaker. Um, you win with guys like that. And so there will be guys there at eight for the wizards to take that, that could impact right away. Now you mentioned this earlier, having said all that, if they can get up to three, they should go up and get to go, go get up to three, you know? Um, Because if you can get, whether it's Brandon Miller or Scoot Henderson, and, and to me, I think Scoot Henderson is the guy to me that I would want if I were the wizards. Um, Or Brandon Miller. Brandon Miller's really good. Like, he's a really good player. But what the Wizards need, again, which, you know, 20 to 22 teams in this league already have, is that dynamic 
on ball point guard creator shot maker passer they haven't had it since peak wall they need it that's the guy he's the guy <laughs> you know so if i could get up to three i would try really hard to get up to three even if, if that's the if i have to use the beal chip to get up to three in one form or another that's what i would do all right uh david aldridge of course the hoops adjacent podcast go read him at the athletic he's literally the hardest working guy in our company uh <laughs> so he'll be there and of course he'll be out with me uh watching the commanders do commanders things uh <laughs> when we get back to training camp uh da always a pleasure uh i'm sure you got to go deal with this john moran thing in some way so good luck with that and uh the nba never sleeps it never sleeps thank you sir good talking thanks. to you ben thanks man all right many thanks to david aldridge for his time thanks to everyone here as well for checking out the podcast and my work on the athletic um We'll have more to discuss uh, in the days ahead. At some point this summer, I'm going to go try to take some time off, but I'm not doing that at least for the next uh, week or two. So we'll have plenty more here on the podcast than on The Athletic. But that is it for now. Ben Standick signing off. Until next time.